welcome back to Trenus Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and what happened was last week I promised you guys that I was going on my hiatus, right? That basically my hiatus was going to start last week. And what I realized was it doesn't really make sense to start my, hi my hiatus <clears throat> without finishing up uh, the Smallville Season 6 retrospective, right? Just kind of leaving you guys hanging for I don't even know how long. Without finishing up, at the very least, Smallville Season 6, that just seemed kind of dumb, you know? So what I decided to do was, you know, basically finish up the Smallville Season 6 retrospective so, you know, I can at least clear the decks on that. So that when I come back, I can go straight into talking about the uh, Sainted Season 7. You know, so uh, that's gonna be that. That's gonna be my move here. That's what I just so. And honestly, guys, all it really requires is you know me, basically uh, recording this episode and getting everything with it sussed out. And then after that, I can I can throw into my hiatus. So that's what I'm gonna do. <clears throat> so now, last time I I talked about. Or, or, I uh, finished my my discussion with uh, uh, episode 18, Smallville season six, episode 18, Noir. And so, actually, you know what? No, was that actually Noir? Ah, what am I saying? Last time, just to kind of clarify or correct myself, uh, last time I finished up my my discussion with Smallville episode 20, Noir, right? Noir was the 20th episode. And so last time, that was the episode that I finished up the discussion with. So logically, that means that I, this time around, I'm going to be talking about episode 21, Prototype. So, Lex dispatches the Mark IV to clean up several problems related to leaks concerning Project Ares. The Mark IV targets Lois, who remembers the Mark IV from his old life as Wes Keenan. So, big doings going on here. This is where we get the full explanation about what Project Ares is. Specifically, it's the culmination of one aspect of Luther Corp's Level 33.1 Research Division, and specifically from there, Project Ares is intended to develop an army of super soldiers to protect the world from an alien invasion. So. Apart from tying several disparate pieces of uh, Season 6 lore together, Ares is also the culmination of an aspect of the Smallville Justice and Doom webcomic. During his early meetings with Virgil Swan, Bridget Crosby, the Queens, and the Teagues, Lionel Luther said he was willing to attempt to create super soldiers to protect the Earth from extraterrestrial threats, but he also said that nothing in science of that time was likely to give Luther Corp the breakthrough they'd need to see the Super Soldier project to completion. In the end, it was abandoned and Lionel pursued other things. Still, it's interesting that Lex manages to succeed where his father failed. Lionel was never really able to make very much headway with his level 3 experiments. Lex, though, has gone light years beyond anything that anything that Lionel might have dreamed was possible with 33.1, and Project Ares is Lex fulfilling Lionel's original promise to Virgil Swan and all the rest. And this should tell us something about Lex's drive to succeed, his fear of another alien invasion, his his willingness to think outside the box, and probably most of all, his brains. It takes an incredible amount of brains, balls, and money to accomplish what 33.1 and Project Ares have accomplished. Lex says it took three years and a billion dollars to get to the point where a prototype like Wes Keenan was even ready to go. And to put that in perspective, Lionel spent uh, something like more than 10 years plugging away at level three and never even got close to what Lex has managed to accomplish. People. That's talent. Now, as a side note, three years is pretty good continuity. That would mean 
that Lex started 33.1 toward the end of the Mighty Season 3. You know, right around the time that he finagled complete control over Luther Corp. Now, obviously 33.1 was underway by the time of the dreaded Season 4 because Lex took Mikhail Mixus Pitalik to a 33.1 facility back in the episode Jinx. So, all of this is to say that's some pretty rock-solid continuity that's going on right there. But anyway, to get back to the point, unfortunately, these bear all the hallmarks of fairly typical supervillain behavior. So, Lex's achievements here are dubious at best, I would say. On top of all that, the teaser shows uh, that Wes breached a secure facility in record time. It suggested that he killed Lex's guards during the demonstration. Lex then orders another test with new guards, and I'm guessing they're gonna die too. Later in Prototype, as an episode, Lex orders Wes to kill Senator Burke, which is exactly what happens. He then orders Wes to kill Lois, but Clark come, uh, comes to the rescue before shit can get really out of control. Now. The reason I'm kind of harping on this stuff is to say that this is new ground for Lex. He's taken some pretty dark turns this season already. He's guilty of manslaughter from back from back in Promise, for example, but Lex could probably beat those charges and probably legally claim self-defense or, or temporary insanity or just whatever else. Certainly his motives are understandable enough. I mean. The doctor was blackmailing Lex, and, you know, the offer that he was making was pay him off, or Lana, or Lana finds out all about her faked pregnancy. Obviously, Lex didn't want that, so he snapped and beat the fertilizer out of the doctor, who tripped and smacked his head on a tomb. He was dead on impact, so there was really no malice aforethought going on there, but prototype's different. This is the first time that we see Lex casually order the murder of innocent and maybe even not-so-innocent people with a straight face. This time, there is no justification for his actions. This is cold-blooded murder, pure and simple. Human life has become pretty meaningless to Lex Luthor at this stage in the game, and honestly, this is a fairly linear progression. I mean, look, it's not like I've ever killed somebody before, ever, but I suppose if you kill somebody once by accident and then you get away with it, it might be easier to justify it to yourself next time. If you're a person of a certain moral persuasion, anyway. And Lex is clearly of that persuasion, because he goes from accidentally causing the death of Lana's doctor back in Promise, to casually ordering the slaughter of possibly as many as 30 people in this episode. Maybe even more than that. And people say that Lex's turn to the dark side is a light switch moment. Idiots. Lex isn't the only one going through some changes, though. Up to now, Clark's been fairly tolerant of Lionel Luther. It's a kind of relative thing, you understand, but considering Clark's history with Lionel, I'd say that, that Clark has been pretty welcoming to and accepting of Lionel you know, under the circumstances, but no matter how much they may occasionally partner up with each other, share information, cover one another's tracks, or whatever else, Clark is very well aware of who Lionel Luther is. Or he thinks he is, anyway. And really, it comes to the same. Lionel's worldview isn't Clark's, and Clark's worldview isn't Lionel's. But over and above all that stuff, Clark loves Lana. He's not happy to even think that Lionel's been pushing her around. And he makes it pretty clear that if Lionel's involved with uh, Lana's wedding to Lex and forcing her to go through with it, there's going to be hell to pay. Now, normally, Clark would go in guns blazing. <clears throat> How many times have we seen him uh, storm into Lex's office and confront him about something or other? Hell, back in Mortal... From just last season, Clark barged into Luther Mansion and beat the piss out of Lex. Clark doesn't do that here. Here, Clark lays it out for Lionel. If it comes out that Lionel had something to do with Lana going through with the wedding 
to Lex. Clark's not going to be fucking around anymore, y'all. Then he walks out, leaving his, his threat just kind of hanging awkwardly in the air. Now, you might argue that Clark recognizes that Lionel has power over him because he knows Clark's secret, but Clark never even outright slings accusations. He just gives Lionel enough rope to hang himself with. Clark's not the brash young man that he used to be. He's seen what can go wrong when he, when he loses his temper or lets his emotions run away with him. So he's more measured and guarded in Lionel's office. He just makes a promise. And then he makes a threat. And when he does, Lionel looks like he's just crapped his shorts. <clears throat> now, speaking of Clark, actually before we even start speaking of Clark, give me a minute here. I want to open up my, my Dr. Pepper. And hell, since I'm here, I'm going to go ahead and uh, use my vaporizer a little bit. Sorry about that. Anyway, so going back to Clark, he and Lois have an interesting little moment. Lois is coming back to the farm and she jokes that Clark's hoping to catch her in the shower. And her tone of voice is definitely open to interpretation. Smallville's shippiest season. I have mentioned that this is Smallville's shippiest season, right? Well, <clears throat> if not, this is Smallville's shippiest season. Lois has been trading little moments like this all season long with Clark. Now look, <clears throat> this is an audio medium. I realize that. So it's not very easy to get across the subtleties of acting in a format like this, but Lois sounds and looks kind of flirty here, y'all. Clark and Martha are both caught a little off, a little off guard by it. Now again, this makes Lois and Clark's future together easier to believe. We know that they're supposed to end up together, but if all you saw was the dreaded fourth season, guys, they're barely friends that season. But ever since season five, Lois has occasionally fired off little comments like this. <clears throat> and obviously there's goings on back in Crimson. Now, true, Lois and Clark were both drunk on red kryptonite, but that's not the point. The point is that red kryptonite brings people's real feelings to the surface and makes them slaves to their own id. And deep down inside, it's kind of undeniable that Lois and Clark are kind of hot for each other. Now, yes, it's a purely physical attraction. Right now. But isn't that to be expected? I mean, people... And... I would say, especially women, say that <clears throat> say, they say that looks don't matter. What counts is a good sense of humor, friends first, fucking blah blah blah, and it's all lies. It's all lies. Because if it wasn't, Danny DeVito would be porking Angelina Jolie every night, and as far as I know, that ain't happening. So Lois and Clark don't always gel together all that well. When it comes to personality, interests, likes, dislikes, and other minutiae of day-to-day -day relationships, but they are attracted to one another on a physical level. And my firm suspicion is that it all starts with physical attraction. This is a simple fact of life, and I find, honestly, that men tend to be more comfortable with this reality than women are. But if you, if you catch my meaning, if you can't get hot for somebody, you're not likely to fall in love with them. And don't bother writing in to tell me that I'm wrong here because deep down inside, you all know that I'm right. Appearances matter. And Lois and Clark clearly passed each other's tests of physical attraction. It's not much to go on, but they do have the beginning of a relationship here. 
They're starting with the exterior. It'll take a while yet before they can develop real feelings for each other, but the seeds are there, and that's my point. And scenes like this one are a good indicator of where Lois and Clark are with each other. Now, moving away from that, Clark and Lana have a kind of tender moment in prototype. Clark lays hands on her in, shall we say, a familiar kind of way. Now, this was controversial to some fans at the time that this episode came on. Clark's putting the moves on a married woman. And it's kind of funny how only a minority of people were bothered by this and fucking Superman returns, but in this case, <clears throat> it really is all about context. In Superman Returns, Superman was basically a potential homewrecker. Kate Bosworth, Cyclops, and Damien were a legitimate family unit. Bosworth was in a relationship with Cyclops to help her career at the planet. Damien recognized Cyclops as his father, and Cyclops, for whatever reason, loved Bosworth. So, under the circumstances, Ralph flirting with her and trying to kiss her and all that stuff was completely inappropriate. It's different here in Smallville. Clark, Clark knows that Lana didn't intend to marry Lex and the entire wedding was just a sham. <clears throat> Clark also knows that Lex poses some kind of a threat to Lana and she only married him because someone forced her to. She's not really married to Lex in any way that matters, if you catch my my meaning here, you know? And if you can't see the difference between the situation in Smallville and the situation in Superman Returns, honestly, I have no idea what to tell you other than you should never have children. But anyway, now, Prototype wraps up another bit of business. It starts Martha Kent's ride off into the sunset to serve as Senator Burke's replacement in the United States Senate. Jonathan Kent was elected to the Kansas State Senate. As is common with these sorts of things, Martha took his place after he died. And now, Lionel's using a bit of his influence with the governor to have Martha appointed as Burke's replacement, at least until the next election. Prototype aired in 2007, so it's feasible that Burke won re-election in November of 2006. That would make Martha his replacement until 2012, at least in theory. And even then, there's always the chance that she could choose to run for re-election. This may be offensively obvious to some of you, but it's clear that a lot of people out there have no idea how elections, appointments, state legislatures, and the federal government work. So, of course, Smallville's been bashed like hell over this. Even now, it's common to see some hipster dipshit whine and complain on some forum somewhere that Jonathan Kent won a race for the state senate, and so somehow Martha becomes a United States senator. Dirt, that's a big plot hole. Jackasses. Anyway, get back to Martha, though. Uh, this is the fulfillment of the separate paths that Martha and Clark have been taking this season. Martha's been filling the vacuum Jonathan left behind, first by taking his place in the Kansas Senate, and now her destiny is taking her to Washington. Martha is adjusting to life without Jonathan, and it's happening organically. That is, and it's taking, it's organically taking her away from the farm, away from Smallville, away from Clark. But I'll talk more about that in a few moments. So anyway, right now, on to uh, Phantom, episode 22. Clark tracks down the last zoner while Lex is arrested for Lana's murder. So, the big finale. Now, the task of any finale is to put all the cards on the table in terms of all the conflicts from the season up to that point while delivering a slam-bang action-packed conclusion and ideally some kind of cliffhanger. Now, Vessel, the fifth season fin uh, finale, set the bar pretty high in terms of a world-threatening event. Maybe too high, actually, because the stakes the characters are playing for here in Phantom are a lot closer to home, I would say. Now, 
To be fair though, Goff and Miller originally planned for the fifth season finale to also be the series finale, so of course the stakes were higher in Vessel than they were in Phantom. And don't take any of this as a criticism either, I'm just laying out the facts. The episode starts off in a kinda sorta shippy way with Lex and Lionel arguing over who Lana really loves. And it's the sort of melodramatic bullshit that Smallville had never quite reached before the sixth season, and for the most part would never quite reach ever again in the future. Not for nothing do I call season six Smallville's shippiest season. I mean, back in the mighty third season, Lex and Lionel couldn't have cared less who Lana truly loves. That's the type of high school bullshit that just wasn't anywhere on their radar. But it fits what the sixth season's been all about. And again, none of this is a criticism. It's just a recognition of just how soapy Smallville's been this season. Now, to me, comic books aren't far away from soap operas to begin with. So Smallville's gradual transition to more soapy, shippy types of storylines actually works on a lot of levels. Still, you can't argue that this isn't an important conversation, at least for Lex's participation. Lionel reveals that he forced Lana into marrying him. Now, Lex tries keeping a poker face through the entire conversation, but you can tell that this was a major punch in the gut. I don't spoil things that are still to come, but this isn't throwaway dialogue. Lex is feeling increasingly boxed in by Lionel. And for the first time, though, he openly says he wants to cut Lionel Luther off from his life. He sees his own father as an impediment to his, Lex's, upward mobility. He's a barrier that Lex now recognizes as standing between Lex and greatness. For the first time, Lex is willing to admit that he wants Lionel out of his life. Gone. This is huge. Now, there's big doings going on with Clark, too. He and Martha have a very blunt conversation. Car's ready. You know, I was thinking, if you're half the senator, that you are a mom. This country's in really good hands. I always thought you'd be the one to leave the farm first. Washington, D.C. is no different than Topeka. It's only a few seconds more away from me. It's not what I mean. I know this has been a really difficult year for you, especially since Lana and Lex got married. Like you always tell me, some things are just meant to be. Clark. If you feel it would be better to have some distance from them by moving away from Smallville, I, I don't want you to let this farm keep you from doing that. This farm, it's my home. And it's been in our family for over 100 years. Someone has to take care of it. But that someone doesn't have to be you. Just because I'm leaving doesn't mean you have to stay. Clark's buried himself in running the farm. He's filling in for Jonathan as a farm manager. Clark isn't growing. He's not moving on with his life. He's stuck in the past. Now, there's nothing wrong with valuing where he comes from, but Clark's not only allowed himself to get buried in his own history, he's holding on to his own, to his old life so that he doesn't have to create a new life. He's safe on the farm. He has memories of how things used to be with Martha and Jonathan seeing his friends at school, and the girl of his dreams living next door. But guys, that's over. And it's been over for a long time now. But Clark refuses to let go. Everybody's moved on since then. Everybody except Clark. Now, people, this too isn't meaningless dialogue. Okay? It speaks to Clark's every flaw and weakness. These are the things that are preventing him from moving ahead, not just with his destiny, but with his life. 
And so, of course, Lana swings by the barn to give Clark that one extra incentive to stay in the barn, to stay hiding where it's safe on the farm. She announces that she's leaving Lex. She also announces that she's leaving Smallville because it's not going to be safe there. Now, this is one of those moments that gets the crap beaten out of it because it supposedly came out of nowhere, but how the hell anybody can say that after watching this entire season is completely beyond me. But here goes. Lana was prepared to walk out on Lex back in Promise. It's only because Lionel threatened to kill Clark that she agreed to go ahead with the wedding. Ever since then, she's been under Lionel's thumb and feeding him information about 33.1, Project Ares, and anything else that Lex is up to. If you know anything about espionage, spying, counterintelligence, and all that stuff, you probably know that agents can't stay in the field indefinitely. There comes a point when they need extraction because it's getting too hot for them. That's where Lana was at, uh, until the end of Prototype. She'd given Lionel access to tons of secret Luther Corp projects that Lex has been withholding. But Lex isn't stupid. He figured out who the leak in his organization was and confronted her about it back in Prototype. She was able to bluff her way out of the conversation, but she realized that she can't serve as Lionel's agent anymore. And she also can't trust him to extract her from the situation, so she realizes that she has to extract herself. And that means getting the hell out of town. Of course, there's a very real chance that Lex won't make it so easy on her. Lex, we have to talk. We most certainly do. But it'll have to wait. I'll be back tonight. I won't be. Lex, I can't live like this anymore. Yeah, I don't blame you. Living a lie in a marriage you never wanted must take its toll after a while. You're the expert. Setting up a nursery, an heirloom crib. The tears of joy in your eyes when you saw that ultrasound. What kind of a toll does that take, Lex? What in God's name are you talking about? I'm talking about the massive amounts of hormones that you injected into my veins to make me believe I was pregnant. What kind of a monster are you? I don't know where you're getting your information from, Lana, but it's nothing but slander. You know I would never... Don't lie, Lex. It's too late for all that. This marriage is over. Lana, I know I'm far from perfect. But you can't deny what we have between us. Lex, all there is between us are lies on top of lies. On everything I've ever done, it's because I love you. You aren't capable of love, Lex. You never were. the greatest liar of them all. Clark means more to me than you ever will. Lana. That's the last time you'll ever touch me.
That's the only way you're gonna keep me in this bitch. All right, so that's a pretty long scene that I just tossed in there. I realize that, but this is Lex and Lana laying all their cards on the table. It's funny because this is the one time that either of them's ever been honest with the other. When I was talking about Vessel from the fifth season, what I said was, I've mentioned all this stuff in the past, but it's always nice when the characters confirm it for me. Originally, Lex was a spoiled, pampered little Luther Corp prince. But Clark saving Lex on the bridge back in the pilot gave Lex an entirely new purpose. And odds are it started off as genuine friendship. But the closer Lex got to Clark as a friend, the more Lex wanted to be Clark. It wasn't enough to know someone like Clark. And after a while, it wasn't enough to be friends with someone like Clark. Before too long, Lex's jealousy made him want to be Clark. But obviously that's not possible. So as much as possible, Lex started working to take everything that Clark has. And as Lex himself points out, the only thing he could really take from Clark was Lana. Apart from helping engineer their breakup, Lex's interest in Lana begins and ends with the fact that she's Clark's ex-girlfriend. It wouldn't be enough to have gotten into Lana's pants before Clark did. No. Clark had to get there first. Only then could Lex give it a shot. I mean, there are no words for how sick and twisted that is. But at the same time, it's also hard to argue that it's not true. This is the inevitable outcome of all that. Their relationship was a fraud from start to finish. Something that fake, that dependent upon a shared hatred, something that shallow, it was never going to last. And this is where all that bubbles over. Understand, the events of this episode are the culmination of everything Season 6 has been building toward in terms of Lana. But it's also the first glimpse of things to come for her. One thing that, guys, I'm just going to be honest with you, I haven't really talked a whole lot about is Chloe's latent kryptonite ability. And the reason I haven't talked a whole lot about it is because the show itself hasn't talked about that very much either. But we finally see, we finally see it in action here in Phantom. Lois gets stabbed, and in short, she's bleeding to death. She's bleeding out. Chloe unwittingly uses her kryptonite power to save Lois. She has, I'm not even really sure how best to describe it, apart from empathic healing or empathetic healing, maybe. Uh, no, yeah, that's what, it, yeah, empathetic healing. She can restore someone to life and basically take their injury or whatever upon herself. So as superpowers go, this is a pretty risky one. Now, this plot point got a pretty mixed reception when it was first introduced. And at the time that Phantom was, I uh, can't say came out or really, I guess when it broadcast, by the time Phantom uh, was broadcast, not very much had changed either. Chloe having a kryptonite power either works for you or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, I can't really come up with a rational argument for why it should. And that's partly because, guys, this is just a plot point, if you hadn't guessed, that I just don't really care about either way. I'm not very invested in this subplot. You know, Chloe as a, as a kryptonite freak, you know? It's just kind of there for me. I don't hate it, but I don't especially enjoy it either. Now, to move on to other stuff. As far as Martha's concerned, Phantom marks the end of the line for Annette O'Toole as a series regular. The scene where she and Clark say their goodbyes is heartfelt and emotional because it's not just Martha moving to Washington. It's Martha seizing her destiny. She's clearly willing to accept whatever comes next in ways that Clark just isn't. But throughout this series, O'Toole brought 
a warmth and a kind of maternal energy to Martha Kent that I truly think was foreign to her up to then. You know? I mean, in the pre-crisis comics, Martha was kind of the doddering old housewife. For a long time, that had mostly been all she'd ever been. Very grandmotherly is what I'm trying to say. And there's nothing wrong with that. But Annette O'Toole gave Martha a real sense of being everything that a good mother should be. Like John, John Schneider did with Jonathan Kent, Annette O'Toole gave Martha a little bit of youth combined with maturity that the character arguably had never really experienced before and, for that matter, may never experience again from the looks of things. So, all in all, Annette O'Toole and the Smallville crew, at least in my opinion, they've got a lot to be proud of when it comes to Martha Kent. Now, there are a few aspects of Phantom that don't work as well. For one thing, John Jones says that he's been watching Clark all along from a distance, but he wasn't supposed to interfere unless it was truly necessary. Only if Clark's life was truly at risk. Now, think about that for a minute. Think about all the shit that Clark's been through during this show. The times that Eric Summers stole his abilities in the first and mighty third seasons. The hostage situation from Mortal in the fifth season. The showdown with Super Lex in Vessel also from the fifth season. And all that other stuff. It's hard to believe that John could have been watching this entire time and never once thought that Clark was really in need of saving. So that just doesn't really work for me as well. Another thing is the obvious cheat that goes on just before Lana's, uh, Lana's car explodes. Now, that milk truck rode by at a little bit too perfect a moment. And... Guys, I'm not criticizing anybody. This was actually a very clever move on Goff and Miller's part. Season 6, Smallville's shippiest season, was originally Kristen Krug's last season. So the milk truck blocking the camera just before her car goes kaboom was a little bit of an insurance policy. If Krug could be talked into coming back to the show for, a, uh, for another season, then they could do the obvious thing and say, hey, Lana hopped aboard the truck as it drove by. But if Krook couldn't be persuaded to do another season, then Goff and Miller could just kill her off and be done with it. Either way, they win. Now, neither of these things are, are deal breakers, but they both seemed really hard to buy into when Phantom first aired. And here again, not much has changed in the ensuing years. So, anyway... And that is pretty much it for Phantom. Season 6, which is to say Smallville's shippiest season, takes a lot of shit for being unfocused. And frankly, I don't see that. You know, the first half of the season is world building. Goff and Miller had to establish new conflicts and new characters to propel not only this season, but the series at large into whatever the future is going to bring for it. My view is that Goff and Miller intended Smallville to last only five seasons. So when it became apparent that the show would go on past season five, Goff and Miller had to create several new story elements because they more or less exhausted their original outline that they made before they even started on the show. And so season six, the shippiest season of Smallville, had to justify Clark not being Superman already, and the writing staff found several, I think, clever ways to do so. As I talked about earlier in this episode, Clark has a lot of compelling reasons for not already wearing the Superman outfit and flying around, and this isn't forced on Clark either. His hesitation to consider any kind of life outside of Smallville, starting with I would say circa like the second season, is something that's been true of his character, again, most prominently, I would say, beginning in the second season, but you can find little hints of it here and there in the first season as well. So basically, right from the get-go, you know, and what season six does is solidify his refusal to move on in his life. At the same time, it's important that Clark's struggles be contrasted over and against other characters. 
And one of the better comparisons for this aspect of Clark's character are both Oliver Queen and Martha Kent. At the onset of this season, Smallville's shippiest season, Oliver is a character with the best of intentions but the worst of methods. He has the right idea, he just goes about it in all the wrong ways. Oliver puts on a disguise to rob rich people of things that they've stolen, sell the merchandise, and then donate the money to a local charity. But the ends don't justify the means. Not in Clark's view. And so he forces Oliver to rethink his methods. Ultimately, Oliver decides on a different strategy. Rather than continuing as a thief, Oliver becomes a vigilante. He takes it upon himself to patrol Metropolis and protect people who can't protect themselves. But their relationship, by which I mean Clark and Oliver, their relationship is a two-way street. Oliver's issue is that Clark has all these amazing powers that he could use to save the world anytime he wants, but all he does is hang around a farm pining over his ex-girlfriend. And Oliver's point is that there's a big world out there full of people who are hurting and who need help. Oliver's methods may have been way out of line to start with, but he's cleaned up his act. He's doing the best he can to make a difference. Oliver's point doesn't completely fall on deaf ears either. Clark inadvertently released several prisoners from the Phantom Zone, and up to now, Clark would have been content to let the Zoners find him. But here in season six, by which I mean Smallville's shippiest season, that's not good enough anymore. Clark made this mess, and for the first time, it's his self-appointed responsibility to clean it up. Now, keep in mind, Clark isn't being proactive here. At least, not proactive in the sense that Oliver demanded. No. Instead, Clark's simply taking responsibility for his actions. If this was the Mighty Season 3, Clark would have allowed the Zoners to come to him. Only then would he have finally taken care of business. Clark made the decision back in Fallout to begin his training with Jarrell, but before he can do that, he has to settle all family business with the Zoners. Clark doesn't want the world to be left helpless while he hangs out in the fortress. This is Clark taking the long view of the situations rather than reacting impulsively and emotionally to the situations. <clears throat> now, Clark's still not ready for prime time but he's making a lot of the right decisions. But he's not making all of the right decisions. Not yet. And that's where the comparison to Martha Kent comes in. Now, I just argued that very issue a while ago in, in this show, so I won't belabor it here, but I stand by my point. Martha's advancing in life because she's allowing herself to. Clark is stubbornly digging in and refusing to accept the fact that his life has changed. And... It's funny that Jonathan is the common denominator there. In taking over for Jonathan, Martha's allowing her life to grow and change far beyond the town limits of Smallville, but Clark is effectively doing the same thing. But for him, taking over for Jonathan means doing chores for the rest of his life on a farm after his family and friends have all long moved on. And as I said earlier, this is incredibly important. This relates to Clark's entire character arc through this whole series. Another thing that season six did is solidify not only the concept of a shared universe, which like by which we can define shared universe as a universe that has super people in it besides Clark, other DC characters, I'm saying. Anyway, establish the concept of a shared universe, but also Clark's place in that universe. <clears throat> Clark's clearly the moral authority for Oliver, Bart, AC, and Victor. It may be Oliver's team, but make no mistake about it, Clark is their leader. Now, I've talked at length in this and in other episodes about Lex and Lana's relationship. I've repeatedly explained why I buy them as a couple, at least in the short term. And you're either convinced by, uh, convinced by that by now, 
or you're not. Still, one thing that I do have to call shenanigans on is the idea that this was intended from the get-go. A lot of people look back at that look that Lex gives Lana back in Metamorphosis from the first season, and they try to argue that Goff and Miller were hinting at a love triangle between Lex, Lana, and Clark virtually from the earliest point of the show. But guys, sorry, I don't buy it. First off, you can argue anything from the look that Lex gives Lana, but the other thing is that his gaze at Lana is explained later on in that same episode. Lex decides to swing by Lana's barn and subtly suggests that she should dump Whitney and start up with Clark. He was formulating a plan when he stared at Lana that way back in Metamorphosis because he was making a plan. Not that he was lusting over her. At least not then. But I can believe that Goff and Miller had something in mind for Lex and Lana by the end of The Mighty Season 3. I said when I was talking about Legacy from The Mighty Season 3 that I noted that for the first time, Lex wasn't necessarily encouraging Lana to go after Clark anymore. If anything, he was planting seeds of doubt. This was carried further in Transference from the dreaded Season 4 when Lex refused to tell Clark exactly why it was that he ratted Jason Teague out to the school administrators for dating a student. So, my point is that I can believe that the Lex Lana thing had been in Goff and Miller's minds for quite some time, but what I can't believe, what I refuse to believe, is that they were thinking about that virtually from day one. I gotta raise the bullshit flag on that. So, anyway, and so that's pretty much it for season six, which is to say that shippiest season of Smallville. And as it happens, this is finally, officially, actually the end of my active run of Trinus Magnus Punch's reality. I'm going to go ahead and uh, start up my hiatus. I have no idea whatsoever what the next episode is going to be all about. I just know that it's going to be awesome and I look forward to seeing all of you then. So I'll see you then. Bye. So I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trennismagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. 
If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demanzacor of Milan, Italy. <laughs>